0: Thank you for tuning in to Catch the Fire Boulder, where we're more than a church, we're a family. Today's message is brought to you by Devin Caswell on behalf of Ignite Youth Group. To find out more about our youth group or this podcast, go to ctfbolder.com. But uh, I was doing a mini series on how to face your giants and I was prepping for that and it was pretty much all the way till yesterday and, and I felt like the Lord just completely changed up my message. And the reason he did is because I feel like a lot of you guys are in a place where Even though it is kind of confusing with with all this chaos in the world right now, um, it's also confusing in the sense of your calling, in the direction of your life, because you guys are stepping into new chapters. Um, And so you're dealing with all the chaos of just the natural causes of the world, but also you have the normal chaos of trying to figure out what's the next step of my life gonna look like? What's my career gonna be? What am I gonna do in college? What am I gonna go on to do? What's my life gonna look like? And you're trying to seek God in the midst of these things and it can be kind of confusing. So I wanted to talk about listening to the call. Now when you hear the word calling, one of two things tends to happen. You either cringe or you get excited. Because there's this kind of um, uh, generalization that goes with the word calling that the secular world kind of cringes at, like, oh, find your, find your calling, find your purpose in life. This is what you'll find fulfilling, and it's true. But um, a lot of people cringe at that word because they don't believe that there's this divine calling on your life. And then there's people who get excited when they hear this term, calling, because they know that this is something personal to them that God has put on their heart to pursue. And that's what I'm talking about. And I need you guys to realize that calling and purpose is a drive that exists within every human being. And I talked about superheroes last week. And I talked about how superheroes tend, in every movie, they go through a series of adversities and they come out top, they come, they, usually at the end they come out on top and they come out victorious. Well, in this one I want to talk specifically about Spider-Man. Because Spider-Man is somebody who, um, He's very relatable. Like he's very human. Like especially in the beginning before he gets bit by the radioactive spider. I'm talking old Spider-Man. Some of you guys might not even know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Um, So he's he's just kind of a techie, kind of a nerdy guy. He's a photographer, um, just a very normal guy. And then he's at a lab and gets bit by a radioactive spider. And now he has superpowers and he almost has this realization of purpose. He then suddenly goes from being a photographer for a newspaper to being the guardian of New York. And and he's protecting his city and he has this moment where he discovers his purpose. And, And so we all have a purpose in our life that we are called to discover. And that is why you see in movies that there's a mystery to be solved, a mission to be accomplished, a city to be saved, loved ones to protect. In every movie, there's a sense of drive and purpose. Purpose is at the core of who we are. God created us with a sense of purpose, and we see this in Genesis 2.15. says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And then later in Genesis 2.19-20, through 20, it says, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man. To see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that's what it, that was its name. And so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Okay, so we see in those uh, two verses that right off the bat, with Adam, God created Adam, and then He gave Adam a what? A job, a purpose, a task. Good job. <laughs> So he gave him a purpose right off the bat. And so this tells me that purpose is something that God has put in our life. This is something that he has instilled within each and every single one of us. And so this is something that we know and we discover at a young age. That's why when you're um, eight years old and and people ask you, what do you want to be? What are your answers? Your answers are typically, I want to be a professional athlete. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a cowboy, a rock star. I want to play in a rock band. I want to be a rap artist. I want to be a celebrity. All these big things, right? Things that we know are big deals and, and successful accomplishments. And see, when you're a kid, it's to you it seems genuinely possible. It, it, like, how would that not be possible? Like, I, I know I'm going to go on to be an astronaut. Duh. Like, come on. Like, this is logic. But the reason that, kids have that is because they haven't experienced doubt. They haven't faced much adversity and, they, and their perspective on what is and isn't possible hasn't been tainted by logic and so-called reality. See, the older you get, the more adversity you face in life. It's almost like you get tainted with this doubt and this disbelief that you can go on to do incredible things. And you almost get caught up in reality and I don't want you guys to get caught up in reality. I want you guys to have childlike faith, as Jacqueline was talking about earlier. We need to go back to thinking. We need to go back to our youth, and here's where I'm going to add it to that. Matthew chapter 18, verses 2 through 4 says, He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Okay. So this is Jesus, and he, and he puts a child on his lap and he says, truly I tell you, unless um, you become like little children. I love that line, become little children. See, children don't have doubt. They genuinely believe in everything that they believe in. And so, I mean, I, I forget the age, it's either ages four or five, but before that point, when they're ages one through four, everything is true. It doesn't matter what they see, doesn't matter what they hear, it's real. And so when they're at that young, fresh age, you have to be really careful with the things that you allow them to see, especially on the TV. I mean, it's to the point where with my nephew, Kelsey, like if there's something just even about Halloween, she just doesn't even want that because it's like a cute little kid show like Halloween. But she doesn't want that because she wants to be very careful with what the kids see. My my nephews are ages four and under. So the reason that is is because everything is so real to them there's not they haven't been they don't have this ability to decipher oh that's not real and this is <laughs> and so we need to go back to a perspective where everything is possible where everything is real and see your perspective of God can greatly limit how you allow him to move in your life see it's Proverbs chapter 23 verse 7 it says what a man thinks in his heart so is he so if you believe that you're going to go on to do incredible things then you will but if you believe that you're not going to amount to anything then you're going to remain there Does that make sense? So we have to begin to shift our mindset to believe that things are possible, that through God, through Christ that lives in me, that I can go on to accomplish great and mighty things and impact the kingdom in a mighty way. But this is something where you have to begin to renew your mind to begin to think like Christ, to begin to think positively. And I want you guys to even begin to capture your thoughts. This is huge because it's so easy to let doubt sneak in. It's so easy to have a moment where you're discouraged. Maybe you play basketball or you play a sport and you just lost a game. And then you let doubt sneak in and it says, you're not gonna go on to play college. You're not gonna win the next game either. That's the enemy and that's the lies of the enemy and he wants you to remain in that place. He wants you to remain self-conscious of your abilities. But the truth is when those things happen, you have to counter that. And like my dad, when I was growing up, this is very important, he would tell me, when I, was, when I would have moments of doubt, he would say, you need to counter that completely. When you, when you hear those moments of doubt, you say, no, I'm the greatest basketball player on the floor. And even if it's not statistically true, I need to believe that in my heart. Does that make sense? Amen. Amen. Okay. This isn't in the notes, but as I was just praying about what to talk about, there's three things that will help you determine your passions in life. And so a lot of you might have a basic idea of what you're good at, of what you might want to go on and do. But I want to give you guys these three things. And so the first one that will help you determine your passion, and this is going to sound a little dark, but pain will help you determine your passion and your God-given assignment. It Doesn't really make sense, but let me explain. So, there was a woman, and she had a, a young son about 12 years old, and they were driving home from a party. And on the way home from a party, they got hit. And they got hit by a young high schooler. And he was drunk, and he was coming home from prom. And so obviously, she was devastated. And this woman was very broken, very distraught and she grieved for a long time but after time went on she saw that this was a consistent problem on homecoming and prom nights lots of high schoolers were driving drunk and so she's the reason i forget her name i i, did, I wish have wrote it down but she is the reason that you guys in public high schools have assemblies right before prom and homecoming right before prom and homecoming you guys have assemblies don't you about Drinking and driving and why you shouldn't be drinking underage and why drinking and driving's bad. And so some of you guys, I know you guys don't do that, but and you guys might think it's silly, like why am I having this assembly? But she is the reason. And the reason that she did that is because she had a painful moment in her life. She had a painful moment of losing her child. I can't imagine anything more painful than losing the child that you created and that's what god did for us he sent his only son and i can't imagine anything more painful than that and that's exactly what happened to her and she used this used this pain as motivation to start a movement that has saved lots of lives and because she's doing these assemblies statistically um, accidents from high schoolers drinking and driving has gone down significantly ever start ever since she started these assemblies, because at these assemblies, they show you the reality of what happens, right? They're not just like, don't drink and drive. Like It's like, here's pictures of what happens when you drink and drive. And they kind of scare you a bit. And so she starts these, this movement, and she's statistically caused this issue to go down. So she discovered her purpose from a source of pain. Lots of times addicts, when, they, when they've been struggling with something, their greatest source of motivation is the pain of how it hurts the loved ones around them. The pain that has been, that they have caused from isolating themselves and being caught up in this addiction to the people around them, that is their greatest motivation to get out of that situation. Pain is one of the strongest motivators in our life. And I'm not saying that it's okay to be in pain and sorrow and depression all the time, but I'm, say, I'm saying that it is okay. That I mean, hardships is part of life and the more that you experience life, the more that hardships ha- you realize that hardships just happen. It's just the way it is. And, but you can use this pain as a positive motivator to start a positive movement, to do a positive thing. I mean, Dave Ramsey is another good example. Lots of financial debt, went through lots of financial struggle. On the other end, he's now helping people who are in financial debt and will go through financial stru- uh, struggle. So the very thing that you went through is often the very thing that you are called to be the solution to. Does that make sense? Amen. The the second thing that can help you determine your passion in life is just the things you love to do. And this seems very straightforward. Um, But if you love to play music, if you love to play piano, if you love to worship, then it's probably a sign that that could be something that God has put on your heart, a desire that you are called to walk in. And this one... This one is, is more of the things that God has actually put on your heart because the things that you love to do are effortless. They're, they're things that make you feel fulfilled when you do them. There's nothing, that doesn't mean they're always easy to do. Like I love being a youth pastor, I love ministry. That doesn't make ministry easy. There's times where ministry is difficult, but there's nothing more fulfilling than, than where God has me right now. This is my passion, this is what I love to do. And so when God has you in the middle of what you're supposed to do, it, it's going to feel right. And it's going to feel effortless in the sense of, um, it'll feel effortless. That's exactly what I mean. Because it's going to be the thing that you were designed to do. And the third thing is, is passion that comes from seeking solutions. The people, this is important that we learn to see the world in a different way because oftentimes all the problems that we see in the world, we just take them for what they are at face value. They're just problems and we just see problems in the world. We need to start viewing problems as opportunities to make a difference. This is where all the inventions come from. I mean, there's all sorts of crazy inventions that people have come up with simply because they see a problem and they're like, oh, what if we created this to solve that problem? So like for instance, this is a really weird one, but I just saw the commercial today, so I'm running with it. But like cotton swabs, so cotton swabs have an issue of pushing earwax down into your ear canal. And so this is something where, I, I forget the term for people who, doctors are for ears. What's the term for that? Do you know? Yeah, it's a fancy word. Ear doctor. Okay. Hallelujah, praise Jesus. Ear doctor. Okay. And so they, they say that this isn't good because the earwax blocks your canal and all of that. But they've come up with this invention that like, it's almost like a gun and this thing twists and it takes all the earwax out and it doesn't stuff anything back in. And so somebody saw a problem and created a solution. So in the world on a bigger scale, the problems that we see, we need to begin to look at the world in a different perspective. It, when we see problems in the world, we should start seeing those, oh, well what if we did things this way? Or what if I could be the solution to that problem? And oftentimes the very thing that you, <laughs> Oftentimes, the thing that bothers you is the thing that you're called to be the solution to. So, if racism is something that you just see a big problem in the world, be part of the solution. If uh, financial poverty is something that just really irks you and you want to see people walk in abundance, be part of the solution. If you want to see people get saved and live lives for Jesus, preach the gospel. If you want to see people moved and, and, and you want to see um, hearts shifted, do worship. You know, there's these, the things that you see a problem with the most are the things that you're like, oh, that bothers me. That is what you're often called to do. Amen? Okay. First Samuel 3, 1 through 10. I'll make this quick. It's a lot of scripture, but the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called to Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and laid down. Again, the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. And then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, Speak. Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And there's a lot in this scripture, and I wish I had another half hour just to preach on that. But <clears throat> the first thing that I want you to realize is that Samuel, when he was hearing God, he went to Eli. Eli. And this tells me that God speaks in a way that's not often super direct, right? And God wasn't playing a practical joke here. God wasn't hiding behind Samuel's tent like, Samuel, (laughs) Samuel. (laughs) Like he wasn't playing a practical joke. This is something where he was trying to call to Samuel. And Samuel, he went to Eli. Because often when God speaks to us, it's in a way that doesn't seem super clear. It's in a way that seems very familiar. And oftentimes, I mean, God will speak to, to us through the people around us. Eli said to, um, Eli said to Samuel that he, he just realized that the Lord was calling on the boy, and he said, go back to your place. So it's very important that if we want to discover the call in our life, that we need to make sure that we are in the right place. That we're in the right place spiritually, emotionally, mentally. Because here's the thing. If you're not reading your scripture, if, if um, you're living a life full of... We're all sinners, but if when we live a life consistently full of sin, they're static. And we need to make sure that our hearts are in the right place in alignment with God. That way we can hear the whisper of his voice. How many of you know that God speaks in a whisper? Elijah in the cave, what, what happened? He saw that there, there was wind in the mountains and God was not in the wind, that there was an earthquake and God was not in the earthquake. There was fire and God was not in the fire. And then he heard a whisper. And Elijah goes out to the edge of the cave and starts speaking with God. God speaks to us in a whisper and the thing that's very impactful about a whisper is what do you have to do? You have to be very close to the person to hear it. Something that I do with my nephew, Joshim, is Joshim, he, he knows it now, but I'll be like, Joshine, come here. I have something to tell you. Come here. And he's really skeptical because he knows what's about to happen. But I'm like, come here. And he's like, and I'm like, come here, buddy. Come here. And he's like, and he doesn't want to. And then I'm like, I have something to tell you. Come here. Come here. And as soon as he gets up really close to me, I just grab him and I just throw him on the couch and I just start roughing him up. And he's laughing and he's having a good time. But that's the thing is God is speaking to us in a whisper, and it's not necessarily always about what God is saying. It's about the relationship. It's about the closeness. Yes, what God says is very important. Do not underestimate the importance of what God says. But God, at the end of the day, wants to have a deep, personal, intimate relationship with you. And right now, He's calling to you. We need to be like Samuel and say, speak, for your servant is listening. I'm here, Lord. Tell me what you need to tell me. Give me clear direction. Man, I wish I had a lot more time to preach on that, (laughs) but it's 834, so I'm going to go ahead and pray us out, okay? God, we just thank you for who you are. You are such a good, good father, Lord. We We just choose to be like Samuel right now, Lord. Speak to us because we're listening. Give us clarity. Give us confirmation on these things, God. Our our questions, give us answers. Ask and you shall receive. So God, we just ask for clarity right now, for each person inside of this room, for direction, for whatever direction they're trying to figure out where to go, God. We just ask that you be the GPS that directs them, that you be the shepherd voice to, to the sheep, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you for the calling and the purpose on each and every single one of these kids' lives. We know that they're going to go on to do incredible things through you to impact the kingdom in a mighty way, Lord. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in with us today. If you would like to find out more about who we are, you can find that at ctfboulder.com. If you haven't already, please make sure to follow us on all of our other social media platforms. Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Spotify. We post different content on each platform, and we want you guys to stay as updated as possible. We have so much love for you guys. God bless.